All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eagleport Church. Really good to have you with us today. We are wrapping up a four-week series called I've Got Issues. And we tend to think that it's our parents' issue. We tend to think it's our kids' issues, our spouse's issue. We tend to think it's our brother. He's the one who's really got the issues. But it's a freeing day when you can admit and I can admit that we've got some issues as well. Today's message is titled, I Crave Approval. How many of us struggle with this? We spend a lot of our life hoping people will notice us, that they'll like us, that they'll include us, that they'll think we're really good at something, and that can be exhausting. This won't come as a surprise to most of you, but when I was in kindergarten, I was pretty popular with the ladies. <laughs> I remember standing in the hot lunch line waiting for my French toast sticks when the two most popular girls in kindergarten came up to me and they asked me to guess which boy they liked the most. And of course, I guessed every other boy in class except for myself. And every time they said, nope, on the, in, on the outside, I was like, yeah. On the inside, I was like, mm, you know, come on, let's go. Because even at an early age, I longed for people to approve. Then when I got into elementary school, I was no longer cool anymore. I think I had played too many G.I. Joes, had read too many Hardy Boy books, and I wore gray tube socks with shorts, and that just wasn't a good look for anybody. And so I all of a sudden found myself wanting approval. In fact, I remember one time my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Schwab, brought her daughter into school, and her daughter was also in sixth grade. And all of the boys began to conspire as to how they could get her attention. I didn't even bother. I wasn't wearing my Jabot's jeans that day. Anybody in Gen X will know what I'm talking about. If you're a millennial, you're like, I don't know what that is. Cool jeans. Didn't have my Jabot's jeans on that day. Instead, I was wearing green sweatpants that were too short and they were too tight. And I knew that wasn't going to get her done. When I went off to high school, my longing for approval got even more intense. In fact, I remember one time my friend pulled up at our house and he had a bottle of vodka sitting in the front seat. And I don't know if this is even true or not, but there was something in me that thought, if I drink that, I'll be liked and I'll be included. And if I don't drink it, then I won't. And I started doing things that I knew God wouldn't want me to do simply because I so badly wanted to be accepted. When I went off to college and became a follower of Jesus Christ, I soon found that not everybody approved of that change. And I spent time being made fun of at times or being left out of things. And I came to the point where I thought, you know what? I can't please both God and my college friends. I chose God. But on some Friday nights when I was alone and they were all at the bar, I wondered if it was just me who longed for approval. When I got married and became a pastor, I thought, oh, I am so done with that. Thankfully, I'm not going to care what other people think anymore. And then I went to a youth pastor's conference. And during one of the break times, this guy goes, hey, how's your church going? Translated, that's pastorese for how big is your church, which in turn means how important are you? Should I spend the break time talking to you or should I try to network with somebody else who's more important? And so the first guy goes, well, you know, we've got about 100 kids in our student ministry. Then the next guy goes, oh, God is blessing us. We're doing, we've got 150 kids who attend our youth group. Now it was my turn to talk. I was leading a youth ministry at the time that had 15 kids. But I heard this voice in my head that said, tell them you got 50. 
You might have 50 if everybody brought a friend for once and came at the same time. At least tell them you got 25. I mean, come on. 25 sounds so much better than 15. But then I heard this other little voice in my head that said, are, what are you doing? Are you going to trade your integrity for 10 extra kids? So I told him we had 200 kids. <laughs> and, and not just transfers from other churches. These were like all former drug addicts who got reformed at our church. Go big or go home. Now, my wife wanted me to assure you I didn't say that because all my kids were like, he lied? And she's like, no, he was kidding. So just so you know. But all throughout my life, one of my character struggles and one of my character flaws is that while I should be consumed with trying to gain God's approval, oftentimes I'm consumed with trying to gain other people's approval. Maybe you can relate. One of the dangers of people-pleasing is that it makes a bad decision-maker. Sometimes I'll look at another person and I'll think, why did you do that? Why did you go out with that group of friends? You know they're a bad influence on you. Why did you lose control and do something that could cost you your scholarship? Why? Why did you lie about that? Now you got caught and it's even worse. Why didn't you confront that person's behavior? Clearly you could tell that they were in the wrong. And oftentimes when you start to dig beneath the surface to find out why, what you discover is the reason they did it or the reason they didn't do it was because they were afraid of what other people think. They wanted other people to like them. There's something inside all of us as human beings that is afraid that we will upset someone, is worried that we won't be liked or included, that doesn't want to get made fun of or left out. And that emotion can be so strong in people that it can cause us to do things that God would never want us to do. I want to read to you a verse from the Bible. And when I read this, some of you are going to go, oh, this is why God brought me to church today. God needed to speak this into my life. God needed to say this to me. Here's the verse. It's Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul is writing and he says this, obviously, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. No, I'm trying to please God. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. Now, I've read that verse many times because I've struggled with people pleasing throughout my life. But until recently, there was one word that I had never noticed before. And it's the first word, obviously. The Apostle Paul was writing this letter to a group of Christians living in a city called Galatia. And apparently, it was obvious to the Galatians that Paul was not a people pleaser. You see, Paul was a person who was warned to stop telling others about Jesus. The religious authorities of that day were like, you've got to stop talking about Jesus or we're going to throw you in prison. And Paul was like, well, God wants me to do this. God's given me a message to, to bring to people who need to know Christ, and I can't stop talking about it. And so he was thrown in prison. Paul left the Pharisees, which was a religious group of his time that was the social elite they had high status, socially speaking. He left the Pharisees to become a follower of Christ, which at that time did not have good social standing. And he was criticized and shunned by his former group. And so when the Galatians looked at Paul's life, they said, obviously, it's pretty obvious you're not living your life to please people. You really are living your life to please God. Unfortunately, it's not so obvious for us. Let me ask you, would other people look at your life and go, 
obviously. I mean, obviously. I, I, the other people at middle school or high school or college, would they look at your life and go, you know, I'm sure that they want other people to like them and to approve of them, but, but I can tell they live for the approval of God. Would the other people at your work or in your neighborhood or who you're friends with, would they look at you and go, you know, I'm sure that they want to please people, but, but you can tell that their life, they, they are focused on pleasing God. Here's how you can tell if people pleasing is a struggle for you. One characteristic is that you can't say no. So people are asking you, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to come over here? Do you want to be a part of this? And you go, yes, I do. And then all of a sudden you go back home later to your roommates or to your husband or wife. You go, why did I say yes to that? I should have said no to that. Can't believe I'm doing it. And your schedule is overcommitted, overfull. It's because you can't say no. Worried you're going to upset that other person. Second, you're easily embarrassed. Don't want to be embarrassed. Don't want to be looked down upon. You might get 10 compliments, but if you get one critical statement, that will just send your brain spiraling. Next one is you tell white lies. Exaggerate the truth. I scored 20 points. Well, actually, you scored 16. You think a lot about your image. You've got to have the right filter, got to have the right pose, got to have the right outfit, the right lighting, and you worry about this. You worry about how other people are perceiving you, what your image might look like. Here's the final one. You give in to peer pressure. Oh, oh, you use profane language, you swear? Well, and I guess I'll swear too. Oh, but now I'm hanging out with my friends from church, so I probably shouldn't do that. Oh, you want me to talk badly about that person? Badmouth the boss, gossip a little bit. Okay, sure, uh, but maybe I... You want me to go to that strip club? I don't want to go. I, I, in fact, I know God doesn't want me to go, but, but since you guys are going, I, I guess I'll go too. I'm going to do what the people around me are doing, even if I know it's not what God wants me to do, people-pleasing. And here's why this is such an issue. Some of you might wonder, well, what's the big deal behind this? Look at the verse again. Paul says, obviously, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. No, I'm trying to please God. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. Did you catch that last part? Paul says that there's going to be times in your life when God is going to ask you to do something, when God is going to ask you to believe something, and it's not going to be popular. The other people around you might mock you, they might criticize you, they might make fun of you, they might leave you out. And in those situations, you have to ask yourself, who am I serving? Am I going to be Christ's servant or am I going to live for the approval of other people? My hope today is that you could be set free. That today you wouldn't have to move forward going, oh, they didn't text me back and they might have been offended and I hope they weren't upset. And I, and you wouldn't have to live your life going, well, I feel the pressure because they're doing it and they want me to do it, so I guess I'll do it as well. That you wouldn't have to live your life pleasing people, but that you would have the confidence and the conviction to say, I live my life to please God. That you could be set free. Or at least more free. This might be something you struggle with your whole life. It might be something I struggle with my whole life. But you can begin to win some victories. In fact, let me give you three ways that you can overcome a people-pleasing tendency. The first one is this. Resist the comparison trap. Paul is writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10. 
And he says, we do not dare compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. That's strong language. He says, we do not dare. A couple months ago, I got off the phone with my dad and my wife said, what were you and your dad talking about? And I thought about it for a moment. I said, well, talked about the new spicy chicken sandwich at Popeye's for about 15 minutes. Do you remember when this was a thing? Popeye's came out with a new spicy chicken sandwich a few months ago, and the demand for it was so great that Popeye's was running out of chicken. I'm not kidding. People would come up to the register or the drive-thru. They'd see this sign. May I suggest if you work for Popeye's, spending a little more money on your signage. But sorry for your inconvenience. We are out of chicken sandwiches. The name of your restaurant is Popeye's Chicken. How do you run out of chicken? But people were losing their minds about this. I watched a YouTube video, and they showed people pulling up at the drive-thru and realizing there was no chicken. And this one woman, she pulled up, and she was yelling at the drive-thru microphone, which was funny because the store had closed. They didn't have chicken, so they had nothing to sell. So they just shut down the store. There was nobody listening to her. But she started yelling into the microphone. She goes, you got to get a trailer of chickens out back. <laughs> Is that FDA approved? I, I don't feel good when I go to a Popeye's and I order a chicken sandwich and they go, just hang on. We're out of chicken, but we got a trailer out back. I don't feel good about that. But then my dad said something that got me a little hot. He said, it's better than Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich. We've got some Christians in the room who understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> Jesus is the king of my life, but Chick-fil-A is the chicken king of my life, as the Lord intended it to be. And so I said to my dad, I said, don't you dare. You dare not compare those two. And so I went with him for lunch at Popeye's, and I ordered the new spicy chicken sandwich. Woo! The bread is soft, the sauce is flavorful, the pickles melt in your mouth, equal. Not better, I dare not compare the two, but they're equal. Here's what Paul writes in Corinthians. He uses strong language. We do not dare compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. Who are those who commend themselves? Well, in the context, he's talking about Bible teachers who are self-promoting. They were focused on themselves instead of on Jesus. But I think you can broaden the context here. Don't you dare compare yourself to someone on social media. Don't you dare compare yourself to a celebrity. Don't you dare compare yourself to somebody else at work or school. Don't you dare compare yourself to an airbrushed image on the cover of a magazine. Don't you dare. See, here's what comparison does. It kills contentment. Brandon talked about this last weekend. I was happy with my house until I saw yours. I was happy with my life until I saw yours. And usually when we compare to other people, we always compare to someone who has more than us or has something that we want. And what that does is it cuts off our ability to be grateful for what God is doing in our life. The next time you find yourself comparing to another person, just stop and pray and say, God, thank you for the gifts that you've given to me. It's different than the gifts that you've given to that person, but I'm so grateful, God, for the gifts that you've given to me. God, thank you for my life. 
It's not the same life that you've given to that person, but God, you've done so many good things for me and I'm thankful for it. You have to resist the comparison trap. Here's the second way that you can overcome people-pleasing tendencies, and it's this. Give people's opinions the proper weight. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is writing to people who were elevating a certain Bible teacher above Jesus. So some of them were like, I'm a follower of Apollos. I really like it when he teaches. And another person would say, well, I like it when Paul teaches. He, I mean, he's my favorite. And another person says, I don't like it when Paul teaches because sometimes he goes into this voice. I didn't like the sweater. It was just, and so finally Paul gets to this point where he goes, all right, I've had it. And he writes these words to the people in Corinth. He says, well, it matters very little what you or anyone else thinks. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. Paul had this clear in his brain. One day he was going to die. And when he did, he was going to stand before the Lord who was going to judge his life. Until then, other people would try to judge him. Other people would try to examine him. But Paul says, I'm not going to be standing before you one day, giving an account of my life. And so when you think about it, it really doesn't matter. I've heard people use language like that before. They'll say, you know what? I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm just sick of all the haters. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I don't think that's Paul's tone here. When your parents or your godly best friend or your small group leader comes to you to confront a pattern of sinful behavior in your life, don't say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. We should care. We should care when a godly person loves us enough to confront a behavior in our life. Only a foolish person dismisses that kind of feedback, which is why I titled this point, give people's opinions the proper weight. Up here, I have a old-fashioned weighing machine, and I would explain to you how this works, but I'm not entirely certain. I, I think you put an object on here, and then you find the balance point somewhere in here. Other people's opinions matter, but you have to find the balance point. Because here's what happens to some of us. We know what God says. We know what God's word says. We know what God wants us to do. But then we find out what our coworkers thinks we should do. And then your mom types in with what she thinks. And then your roommate says, well, here's what I think you should do. And then somebody on social media gives their opinion, and then a friend speaks up and says, well, here's what I think you should do. And pretty soon, what's happened? Other people's opinions have started to outweigh God's in your life. And when that happens, you will begin to lack moral clarity. You'll read a blog post that will say, you should never let your kids... And then you'll read a different blog post that will say you should always have your kids. And they'll be talking about the same thing. And you'll go, uh, well, whose opinion gets more weight? And then someone will come along and say, well, if you're a Christian, you really should vote for this person. And then another person will tell you, how can you be a Christian and vote for that person? And you'll think, well, who, whose opinion do I give more weight to here? We struggle with this as a staff. We'll introduce a new worship song on the weekend, and we'll gather up back here, and one person will go, what would you think about that new worship song? And someone will go, I didn't like it at all. I don't think we should ever do it again. Another person will go, I was in tears. 
I thought it was the most powerful song I've ever heard in my life. And we'll go, well, whose opinion gets more weight? Here's what a healthy life looks like. Give God's word the most weight. And know what the Bible says about an issue. Know what the Bible says about a topic or a behavior. And give God's word the most weight. I'll talk to people sometimes and they'll share with me that they're living together and they're not married yet. And I don't mean this to be mean. I don't mean this to be confrontational in any way. I, I truly say this out of love. But I will say to them, did you know that the Bible has some principles that would caution you against that? That would say you shouldn't live together before marriage? And almost every time they'll go, no, I, actually, I, I didn't know that. And so they'll say to me, I, I really had no idea. And I'm not surprised they didn't have any idea. I mean, when you listen to our culture, they'll say, well, you, you should have sex before marriage. I mean, you, you want to find out if you're physically compatible with each other. You can't wait until after you're married to figure that out. You, you got to do that before. But then God's word will come along and say that sex is reserved for marriage and now you have to decide, well, whose opinion is going to get more weight? Or the world will say, you know, you should just rack up credit card debt. Go spend what you want. I mean, come on. You deserve it. You've earned it. What's in your wallet? For everything else, there's MasterCard. <laughs> and then the Bible comes along and says that the borrower is slave to the lender. And now you have to decide, well, whose opinion is going to get more weight? Give God's word the most weight. It's a freeing day when you can say, I'm not here to please others. I'm not here for the approval of others. I am focused on one thing. I want the approval of God. Here's the third way that you can overcome people-pleasing tendencies, and it's this. Don't live for the approval of people. Live from the approval of God. That's a Craig Groeschel quote. I love it. Don't live for the approval of other people. That's what so many of us do. We're living for other people to like us, to accept us. Just read an article that Instagram is taking away their likes option in some cases because they're doing research and discovering how destructive that can be to young people. And I love when we say to young people. Like it's not destructive to all of us. To be living for the approval, living for the likes of others. He says instead, live from the approval of God because you have it in Christ. Proverbs 29 says this, fearing people is a dangerous trap. Any person in your life right now that you're fearing? Maybe it's someone, a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a coach, but you live in this fear of them. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear people. All they can do is take your body, your life. I remember reading that as a new Christian and thinking, that seems like kind of a lot to me, you know? They, they could take my life. But then Jesus goes on in the next sentence and he says, fear God who can not only take your body but your soul as well. His point was that the worst someone else can do to you is take your body and then you go to spend eternity with God. But God is the one who decides where you spend your eternity. He says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but to trust the Lord means safety, means security. Another translation of this verse says, fearing people is like a dangerous hook. Oh, you want me to party? Oh, okay, I guess I'll do that. 
Oh, you want me to lie about that expense report to kind of cover up for you? Okay, I guess I'll do that. Oh, you want me to talk badly about that person? It's a hook. Let me ask you, are you the same person even when you're around different people? We all are to a certain extent. I mean, I'm different around my parents than I am my friends, for example. But I'm, I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'm talking about your character, your morality. I'm talking about your identity. Are you the same person even when you're around different groups of people? Proverbs says it's a dangerous trap. It's a, a hook. My grandmother, when I was a kid, she was really into the soap opera Days of Our Lives. And so I would go over there for lunch and she would always have it on. And so I started to kind of get hooked on it. I would know who the characters were. I understood the plot line. I was even very interested in what was going to happen next. But I never told anybody about that. I then, around the same time, our high school allowed students to go off campus for lunch. And so my friends and I would go off to a friend's house. We'd cook up some frozen pizzas. And then one day, and I, I don't know why, one of my friends turned on Days of Our Lives. And this became like the new thing. We'd cook up our frozen pizzas. We'd watch Days of Our Lives. And I never told them that I knew anything about the show. In fact, every day I'd make fun of them for watching it. How could you watch that show? That's crazy. And then one day an argument broke out. And they were confused about something that was happening. And I just got caught up in the moment. And so I blurted out. I said, no, 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 no. I said, Stefano tricked Hope into thinking Bo doesn't love her and loves Sammy instead. But that's actually not true. And they looked at me and they're like, excuse me? I had been a secret follower of days of our lives. I wonder if there's any of us here who have become sort of like a secret follower of Jesus Christ. That other people around us would look and go, I think maybe they go to church. I'm not sure. That they would look at you and they wouldn't see a person who is living to please God or living for the approval of God. You don't invite people to church as much because you're afraid that they're going to think you're weird. You don't speak up about your beliefs or confront sinful behavior because what if they get upset at me? You buy things that you don't need with money you don't have to impress people that you don't even like. It's people-pleasing. What if today you could live not for the approval of people, but you could live from the approval of God? That you would have such a conviction, such a clarity as to who you are, such a decisiveness about what God has called you for your life, that you would live to please him and have his approval, and all the other things would affect you a little, but you would live in safety and protection because you trust the Lord. Earlier this week, I had a chance to sit down with Laquan Treadwell. He's a wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, and Laquan has an interesting story. He went off to Ole Miss in the SEC. He broke all kinds of records as a wide receiver. It was a first-round draft pick of the Minnesota Vikings, but prior to that, he had a serious leg injury. And when he injured his leg while he was at Ole Miss, he came to this point of realizing football might not always be there. There's got to be something deeper to my life than just football. There's got to be something more to my identity than just I play football. And so he began to search and he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he's been attending our church for a while now. And I thought it would be interesting to sit down with him and see how have you learned in a profession where a lot of people are going to criticize you, how have you learned to not live for the approval of people, but to live from the approval you have in Christ. 
think you're going to find this interesting. Take a look. With the 23rd pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Minnesota Vikings select Laquan Treadwell, wide receiver, Ole Miss. Hey, Eagle Brook, I'm here with Lacan Treadwell from the Minnesota Vikings, and we're in a series right now called I've Got Issues. I've got issues. I've got issues. You've got issues. We've all got issues. And this message is about approval. So many of us want other people's approval, and really what we should desire is God's approval. And so we thought it would be interesting to sit down with someone who on a daily basis deals with praise and criticism because of their profession. So Lacan, thank you so much for joining us today, and tell me a little bit about your background. Originally, I'm from Chicago, mm -hmm. um, Chicago, Illinois, South Suburb. Mm -hmm. um, pretty bad neighborhood, single mom, yeah. uh, six kids in a house, trying to figure it out. My love for football was everything to me. It was my way out. It was my way to challenge myself as a man on and off the field. And, um, you know, I just fell in love with it. And, you know, it's been a part of my life ever since. Mm -hmm. So you had an amazing amount of success in high school in Chicago. You were the number one receiver all throughout the country. You went off to Ole Miss, set records in the SEC. I mean, it was just amazing. Talk to me a little bit about how do you handle the praise? Like people, you know, you're the greatest, you're doing so well, you're a superstar. Like how do you remain humble through all those kinds of things? Yeah, I think it's two sides to it. Um, obviously, uh, going out on the field and believing in yourself to the point where other people believe in you and like feeling that positive energy, knowing that the fans got your back, that feels good. But that's good when you're doing good. Now, <laughs> now there's a, there's the opposite side which I learned about when I once I got to the NFL. Like when you, once you're not doing good, those same fans are, are not going to give you that no, totally. leeway. Majority of them, they're not here for you. They were here for the game and want to yeah. see good performances on the field and reality set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about that because I've often said. People forget sometimes that an athlete is a real person. You were drafted 23rd overall, first round of the NFL draft, and you went through some struggles, and things don't go as you planned. Talk a little bit about that. Well, when I first was drafted and things like didn't go as I thought it would go, it was devastating. It was like a heartbreaking experience. I felt useless. I felt like everything I worked for really didn't matter to no one. It was times where I would just, I would just cry. <laughs> Seriously, I would just cry. It's hard as a young player, especially coming into something that, you know, you had these high hopes for and want to achieve certain goals and um, fall short. And everyone else is letting you know you fail short. So uh, I just had to give it up. Like, I can't, I can't do it. I trust you, God. Like, just help me out. I make sure I know why I'm playing and, and, you know, not selfish reasons, but, you know, to help the team win and to glorify God and just make sure I'm, I'm taking the right steps in life. How do you block out some of that noise and negative criticism uh, from people? It didn't get bad for me until I made it to the, to the uh, NFL. And once I made it to the NFL, I said, wow, like this is something I've never been through. So I had to really like shut down a lot of my social medias due to the fact of like my mental state. I mean, every time I looked up, it was someone saying something bad about me. It's just hard. You haven't even had the opportunity to say, no, this is who I am. This is what I represent, this is what I stand for. But then it's to be expected because it's, it's part of the business. So, you know, I just grew mentally more and more and just started to figure out ways to continue to bring myself to a positive state of mind. And through it all, I've learned so much and 
um, I came out a better person from it. So I just stay focused on what matters. Uh, just not letting anyone on the outside affect who I am on the inside. So you're going through that struggle. How did you learn to find your acceptance in God and not just from other people? Um, it's actually super hard. <laughs> I cannot lie. Um, what I do, I do positive affirmations. You know, I start with, I am a child. I am a child of God. And I just start telling myself what I am. You know, I know I'm a husband. I know I'm a father. I know I'm a mentor. I know I'm a role model. And then once I continue to repeat that to myself, it allows me to start fresh that next day. And um, as I continue to grow my faith, you know, and I continue to learn, learn the word and just continue to reshape my life and reshape my mind. And um, I just got better with it. Third down, it's Cousins. Firing complete, touchdown, Laquan Treadwell. It's all short-lived, you know. Um, man will praise you today, they'll, they'll tear you down tomorrow. And once you realize that, and once you're able to accept that, you know, you'll understand why God is so important and know where my faith stands and know where my foundation is and that's in God. And, you know, tough times are still gonna come, but I still have to continue to remind myself of, you know, what God has promised me and what God means in my life. A few months ago, I uh, said something to one of my sons and I could tell it really hurt his confidence that he was looking to me as his father for approval and he didn't get it. And so the next morning I was so convicted about this that I wrote down eight affirmations for him. And one of them was, even when I don't receive my father's approval, I have my heavenly father's approval. And so I will remain confident. It made me really sad as a father that I felt that I had to write that on a piece of paper to remind him of that. But I wrote out affirmations for him that you are loved and that you are a child of God. And I wrote things like God is in control no matter what you're going through. And a little while later, he came back to me and he said, can I have those affirmations? Can I have that piece of paper? And a few nights later, I was tucking him in, and I noticed that they were sitting on the windowsill right next to his bed. First thing he sees when his eyes open in the morning. Do you know what God says about you? You are not what others think about you. You are what God says about you. God says you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. You are an adopted child of God. You are an overcomer. You are victorious through Christ over sin and death. You are accepted not because of what you've done but because of what Jesus did for you. You are loved, for God so loved the world, he so loved you, that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. You are valuable. You were ransomed, you were bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. 
And if that's who you are, then it doesn't matter so much what anyone else thinks. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for every person here, everyone watching this message online. God, there are some of us who live our life and we spend most of it trying to please other people. God, would you give us the conviction? Would you give us the courage? Would you give us the clarity to say, God, I want to please you. Show us what that looks like, God, to have a focus this week on winning your approval or having your approval and living from it and to please you, God. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to earn your approval, but that Jesus earned it for us. We can live from a place of knowing you approve of us. Even if our parents or our father didn't give that to us, even if our friends don't give that to us, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have a heavenly father who approves. God, help us live from that place of strength and moral clarity and conviction. God, if there's any of us who need to give your word more weight in our life, I pray that we would do that. But God, we trust you right now, and I pray you would lead us towards safety, that we would not fear other people. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.